Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the 493rd edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective, our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. You can get your day, uh, excuse me, uh, I can't say that anymore, but uh, chat room is open. Come on in. Uh, talk amongst yourselves if you like. Uh, if you have a question for me, I'll try to answer it to the best of my abilities. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, so yes, I can no longer add that to, uh, this introduction because things have changed for me. Things have changed and I, on my own terms, I have left SB Nation, uh, after five years of, uh, covering the New York Red Bulls on SB Nation, I, uh, have left them. And so as as of right now, I am seeking, or if anyone would like to have me, I am looking for a new publication to join uh, to cover the New York Red Bulls. I have not left covering the New York Red Bulls as um, I am still looking uh, for a brand new uh, publication to join. Or if no publications are going to bring me on, then I will be creating my own. But until I do that, I am going to continue to basically cover the New York Red Bulls and cover American soccer in all levels through my live streaming audio uh, radio show. Now, let me just say that uh, for 10 straight years, I have been uh, grateful that Blog Talk Radio has hosted me on my show, hosting this platform. Uh, to allow me to give you guys my opinions on the game f- of American soccer, American uh, football. So if things do change in the middle of the season, I'll definitely let you know what the situation will be. But as of right now, I am still on Blog Talk Radio. And I just want to say that uh, until things have changed, I will remain here. Uh, but if things don't change, then I remain here and uh, we'll move on and continue to talk to the, you know, have these shows. And, and once again, don't forget when uh, the NPSL soccer show does return, I'll be here. And I'm still covering everything. Major League Soccer, United Soccer Leagues, U.S. Open Cup, CONCACAF Champions League. And, of course, the many tournaments that both the men and the youth are going to be a part of, and that's, of course, including the Olympic qualifying tournament, which I understand from Hugo Perez, the former U.S. men's international midfielder, who is now going to be uh, managing the Honduran Olympic team into these these qualifiers. And uh, it should be interesting to see what's going to happen there, but it's going to be this coming March. And that was Hugo Perez on Twitter who said that. 
Um, it's going to be very interesting to see what's going to happen in these youth tournaments. Now, let me just say that with the changes that are being made, um, it, it's tough for me to move forward, which I will, but, you know, I enjoyed being a part of that group. I, I enjoyed being a part of SB Nation's soccer division. Um, you know, talking to, collaborating with, and to just go out and, you know, working with a great bunch of people, a great bunch of people dedicated to covering the game, not just for their own clubs, but, um, you know, just for everyone and every, anyone and everyone over there. Um, having, you know, a, a good time calling those people colleagues, which unfortunately no longer they are my colleagues. It's been, um, you know, really, really hard for me to leave a good bunch of people that have been doing such a great job. And, you know, if I can just say this about these people, you know, they work their butts off. They, they work hard covering the teams that they are in their areas um, to talk about the teams they respect and, of course, American soccer as a whole, especially the national team, you know, to leave an organization like that was very, very difficult. A very, very difficult decision that I had to make. And one day, maybe I'll discuss it in length, but for now, because it's just been almost a month. Um, The truth is, is that uh, it's just hard to go out and feeling like, you know, leaving everyone that I associate myself with You know, talking to them, chatting with them, to allow them to be a part of this show every single year because I always wanted to, I I felt like, you know, if I'm a part of this group, then it's only fair, only fair that I give them the opportunity come on my show and discuss anything and everything about their clubs. Uh, And of course, along with that, I go along with the territory to help them out with whatever questions they have for me, uh, covering the Red Bulls, you know, when their clubs are taking on the New York Red Bulls. I love doing that. I love feeling like I'm part of something bigger. And I understand, you know, if you're going to go it alone, 
or you're just going to go like New York heavy only. I understand. But the truth is, is that this was a tough choice for me to make this decision. Uh, believe me, I struggled with the uh, decision to leave. I didn't really want to leave. But the way that certain things were going, um, it just felt like I had to say goodbye. And believe me, I didn't want to do it, but I had no choice. So as I say goodbye to SB Nation, to and of course I already made it public on Twitter, but I, I want to honor these people again. I, I want to honor these people again because uh, and the sites they write for because it's only fair and it's only right that they get these people get recognized by me. These people get um, discussed by me and let me just say it one more time. This was a difficult decision to make to leave but, you know, I had no choice but to do so. So let me just say thanks to uh, managing site, the managing division of soccer. I want to thank, of course, Jeremiah Ocean. Um, she's uh, also a managing site director, uh, also runs both Angels on Parade as well as LA Galaxy Confidential, Alicia Rodriguez, uh, Big D Soccer. Uh, I want to thank uh, Scott Henney. I also want to thank Jason Poon for uh, you know helping me out. Um, I also want to thank Patrick Gouldan for a massive report. Um, Preston Weatherington, of course, from Big D Soccer. Um, Derek Stowers and Alicia. Uh, from Dynamo Theory. I also want to thank at the time Mike Gray, who was also with LA Galaxy Confidential, LAG Confidential, um, E. Pubris Lunum. I want to thank that site. I want to thank um, Jay Cantonese from the Bent Musket of New England Revolution. Uh, of course, Blue City... Um, excuse me, wrong one. It's... Um, let me go back... <laughs> And uh, put it on. Let me just get the site, the the proper name of the site, of course. Um, Big D Soccer, Black and Red United, Jason Anderson, Brotherly Game, um, Matt Ralph, Philadelphia Union. I also want to thank, of course, Burgundy Wave, uh, Centerline Soccer. Dirty South Soccer, Dynamo Theory, as I've already said, Epulvers Lunum, 86 Forever, Hot Time in Old Town, Hudson River Blue, that's what I meant to say, uh, Massive Report, Patrick, um, Mount Royal Soccer, RSL Soapbox, Sounder at Heart, Stumptown Footy, The Bent Musket, The Mainland, The Blue Testament, Walking, The Red, and I also, um, and just let me give you the people, uh, all the people who have helped me, of course. Um, Michael Sitro from the mainland. Uh, like I said, Matt Ralph from Philadelphia uh, in the Brotherly Game. Uh, 
William, Will Conwell, Matt Montgomery, uh, Oz, Lucero, Dave Clark, uh, Thad Bell. Of course, we'll still have over uh, Mike Kuhn, and Kuhn will be back. And, of course, uh, Vancouver Whitecaps moving forward. Um, So many people helped me out. So many people I helped. And I'm very glad to call these people colleagues. I also want to thank, of course, originally bringing me over, Jason Iapico, who was the managing editor at the time five years ago for Once a Metro. Collaborated with him. Um, Also, of course, taking over later on after Jason left, uh, Austin Fido. Uh, Great to work with him. Awesome man to work with, both on the same page. Uh, Of course, there was James Justice at the time as well. If you saw, if you're seeing any of our videos on uh, Facebook Live, of course. Great stuff to see there. and once again, it's just been, oh, of course, Rob Ushery from uh, Dirty South Soccer, Atlanta United. It, it's been great working with these people. I enjoyed my time with them. Um, dreamt about running the site, of course, and uh, moving forward. And, uh, of course, Hot Time in Old Town. Before we get the, uh, I don't want to miss anybody. Chris Landis, of course, Alex Stenick from Massive Report, um, it, it's just been hard. Oh yes, Eli Hoff, who was running at the time, E. Pluberus Lunum, it, it's just, you know, I until I found out that he left, of course, it was a little too late, I had no idea he uh, left in the middle of the year. Uh, from SB Nation to do something else. Someone else is now running the site. Um, I have not worked with them. And I'm not saying I'm trying to disrespect them or anything like that. It's just I never met the people. But I just want to say to all of you hardworking people covering your clubs in um, uh, SB Nation, and, of course, let's not forget Eugene Rapinski, FMF State of Mind, uh, the Stars and Stripes, men's national, uh, USA national teams, um, every one of you do, does a great job. Every one of you does an awesome job. And uh, I will miss all of you. I will miss all of you uh, not being able, able to cover um, MLS through you guys and, of course, the Red Bulls. And so... Like I said, it's it's going to be a little bit more difficult, and hopefully, hopefully, um, we're going to have uh, a lot of fun in the future. And I just want to tell all of you that uh, you're more than welcome. Come back on the show. And uh, like I said, we're going to have some fun. And and I promise. I promise we're just going to have some fun. 
It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be uh, tons of fun as we uh, get ready to talk about American soccer, and it's going to be great. A lot of things going down, a lot of things happening, and uh, it should be great. It should be awesome, and uh, let's have some fun, folks. Let's enjoy ourselves and move on, and uh, let's have some fun. Well, the 2021 season is upon us. Still in the off season, of course. Let's not forget. We still have a super draft to take care of. Uh, big news have happened already in MLS. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be exciting. And I personally cannot wait to see what's going to happen. And all I can say is let's start off in South Florida. Down in Inter-Miami land, where a good friend of mine covering Inter-Miami, of course, he is originally from South Florida, did cover the Red Bulls for a time, and now he's back home since last year. The one and only from uh, Soccer by Ives and many other publications, Franco Panizo, as he talks about some exciting news and some strange things as well in the coaching carousel and other things involving Inter-Miami. Franco, Happy New Year. I hope you're doing well, my friend. And how are you, sir? Happy New Year, uh, Dan. I'm good, man. I'm good. Um, everything, everything's good on my end. Healthy. Um, the family's healthy uh, in these times, so that's that's obviously the most important thing right now. Um, hope you and your family are doing well. Also, um, you know, I know it's been challenging almost a year now uh, in this situation, but um, that's good, man. It's good. Everything's good. Um, the Inner Miami beat is keeping me very busy. Uh, a lot of news on the regular, so. Um, you know, not 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 a moment's respite for sure, for sure. Maybe maybe during like the holidays, but even then, you know, there was this this makeover and in the front office. So um, definitely been busy for sure. Now before we get to the news, of course, with Phil Neville and Chris Henderson coming over to Inter Miami, obviously Diego Alonso and the club parted ways. My question to you about this, was this a rocky road in their first season for Inter-Miami, or did Alonzo just said, I, I just want to go back to Mexico? What, what is the reasons for Diego Alonso uh, and the club to part ways? Yeah, I mean, it really came down to results, right? It came down to, to the performance of the team, and um, the team fell well short of its self-imposed very high expectations you know they wanted to be in line with the Atlanta United and LAFC mold in terms of coming in to MLS and competing being very competitive right away and they weren't they finished 10th place in the Eastern Conference Um, they snuck into the playoffs uh, you know in in expanded field because of COVID Um, and then they got you know thrashed in their first game losing 3-0 with a very disjointed and ugly performance so clearly they, they left a lot to be desired in terms of the sporting side. And, you know, that, that, that led to a lot, not only his departure, but that led to others, other departures as well. Players, um, sporting director, Paul McDonough, uh, his right hand man, Kurt Schmid. So the ownership clearly was not happy with the results and with the performances on the field. So that's what led to, to Diego Alonso's eventual, uh, mutual parting of ways but essentially you know he he was let go 
by the team. They, you know, they didn't want, think he would take them in the direction they wanted to be in. So they, they parted ways with him. And today they announced the hire of, uh, of Phil Neville as the head coach, someone who, I mean, I have plenty of questions about given his lack of experience and, and, you know, he's not, he's not a proven commodity. So we'll see how that plays out for Inter Miami. Well, let's go with that Phil Neville connection, shall we? Obviously him and his sure. brother, uh, Gary Neville played with David Beckham at Manchester United, uh, for so many years has been a part of those, uh, Sir Alex Ferguson years, the treble year, of course, winning the Premier League, the FA Cup, and the UEFA Champions League over Bayern Munich and Oliver Kahn back in the day. Um, I mean, obviously you can always throw that in, but is that where Beckham really wanted to go? Did Beckham convince the Mosses that, listen, I think I have a great candidate for you, and I've played with him before in the past and everything, of course. You know, what David does or what David wants, David gets, that situation. I mean... I think I think it's definitely a David Beckham decision, and you know, the Moss brothers and you know Jorge Moss is the managing owner. That's the title that they've given him, um, and you know he he foots a lot of the bill. Um, whereas you know David is is more of the the public face, or was at least for a time, and now he's getting kind of stepping back into it. I, I mean, this was his hire, right? And obviously, David Beckham has worked in soccer his almost his entire life. You know, it's 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 a business he knows whether that makes him a good decision maker in terms of the front office or, or, you know, evaluating talent and hiring a coach that remains to be seen, but he obviously knows more about soccer and the ins and outs than, you know, the Moss brothers who, who are, you know, in their first uh, venture into, into sports ownership. So um, this was definitely a David Beckham decision. I, again, I'm, you know, I'm admittedly cynical. So, uh, I have a lot of questions about the hire and whether it's a good one. I mean, I mean, we don't know, but just just given how unproven Phil Neville is, I don't know if he is going to match or be able to take this team to the expectations and the heights that they that they want and that they're seeking. But it's a decision David Beckham made, um, and this has to be noted because this is, I mean, it's it's just it's it is what it is. It's they have a very close relationship. They're not only teammates, like you mentioned, from their days at Manchester United and with the English national team, but they're also business partners. They are part of the ownership group that owns Salford City, a fourth division club in England, and they're also friends. If you Google their names, Phil Neville, David Beckham, or vice versa, you'll see pictures of them eating together at you know weddings together in front of the Eiffel Tower together. They are, they are friends. Um, so... I mean, it's, it's going to be curious to see what happens, um, you know, if things don't go well, if Chris Henderson, the, the new sporting director, has has the green light to say, hey, you know, I can pull the plug um, on, on this experiment, or if David Beckham's going to, you know, push for, for his friend to stay in charge longer. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, that's a hypothetical. Maybe things go really well, and that, that question never has to be answered. But we'll we'll see how it goes. I, I have a lot of questions about, about Phil Neville and, and – you know his coaching resume because he's never coached, uh, been head coach of a, of a of a men's team and, and and a club team. So that's very true because he had that great run with the women's uh, English women's national team, the Lionesses, in the Women's World Cup. So um, we're gonna have to wait and see, and all, and hopefully MLS will get a schedule ready and we can uh, see what he's made of uh, when we are able to get out of this whole situation. You know, Chris Henderson, I was shocked 
when his name was announced as a new sporting director because I never thought he would leave uh, the Sounders and the success that they've had for you know as many years as they they were able to do. I, I always thought Chris Henderson would stay in Seattle, but I guess South Beach was calling for him. <laughs> well, he was a finalist uh, for the sporting director position the first go around. Um, he you know him and Paul McDonough were the two finalists. And David Beckham and Jorge Mas made the decision to go with Paul McDonough. Obviously did not work out how they envisioned. So Paul McDonough is now gone and in comes uh, Chris Henderson. So it looks like, you know, they're getting, they're giving him full or a lot of control, um, you know, and in Seattle, he had a lot of success, but he was the number two right underneath Garth Lagerway in Miami. He's essentially going to be, the number one. And, and, you know, this is the quote that he had in the, in the release today. And I think um, it's a, it's a, it's a good quote. And I think it just, you know, sheds insight into what, into what he's thinking. And this is, this is the quote. This is an incredible opportunity for me to take the next step in my career, return back to South Florida and solidify my mark on this league. I have always believed in the Miami inter Miami project and the club's ability to become a powerhouse, not only in MLS, but across the global soccer industry. So he's looking to really make a name, a bigger name for himself with Inter-Miami. And that's, that's why he, he's taken this opportunity and why he's still interested in the opportunity. Um, because no one on the inside of Inter-Miami has changed their tune in terms of what they think the team can be. For better or for worse, whether, you know, people on the outside agree or don't agree or you know that they have really high hopes for what they think this team can be, and if if Chris Henderson can succeed in, in getting them there and can help getting getting them there, then I mean that's just going to bode well for his career and um, for everyone else involved with uh, with Inter Miami internally. So um, we'll see how he plays out. I do like the hire. You know, whereas Phil Neville, I have a lot of questions. Chris Henderson, I think is a is a home run hit. I think it's someone you know he's someone that they should have hired the first go around, but. Hindsight is twenty twenty, of course. Yep, that's definitely true. So, um, how has it been since you went home last year? Um, everything's been good? Everything's been okay? I mean, I know you couldn't do a home game uh, because of the whole coronavirus when the pandemic started. I know you had to be, the team had to be on the road uh, for their first two games of their existence. But uh, what was it like being back home? Because I knew it. I knew it. I had a funny <laughs> feeling you ran away from me. Up here, you ran away from me, Mister. I don't like that. No, <laughs> no, you're. I mean, you had been saying it jokingly in the press box over the, like the last few years, like, oh, you know, so when are you headed down to Miami? And you know, I would always jokingly tell you, you know, depends on the transfer fee and you know all, all those all those little banter that we had. But um, no, it was good, man. It was good. Look, obviously, I came down with an idea of what I wanted to do, and I was able to go to the first game in LA, um, covered that. And I was eventually able to cover Inter-Miami home games. They, you know, they obviously opened the stadium again, but obviously the year was not what I envisioned it to be. Um, just like probably almost anyone, right? No one envisioned COVID right. to hit and, and life to kind of stop um, across across the board. You know, there was I, – I had gotten a car like maybe the week – oh, the two days before um, the, the season opener against – LAFC. I'm um, gonna need the car back down here in South Florida again. Can't use the the public transit like uh, like I did as as easily in New York. So um, I got a car and I was like, all right, I got my car now. I'll be able to go to practice. I had like a whole a whole vision for what how the year would play out. And then you know, two weeks later, the league uh, announces it's stopping the season. So there was a real down period for for two months. Um, 
you know, I, you know, I take down period just in terms of like work and production just wasn't as much to do or talk about or cover because there was no soccer. So, you know, things, things kind of changed. They picked up a bit during the fall um, once MLS got back going in full swing. Um, but all the calls were done by zoom. You know, it's not, you didn't get the, the face-to-face interactions or the human interactions, but understandably so, but uh, you know, it was it was a, a tr- difficult and different type of year. Hopefully, 2021 will will be a little bit better uh, in that regard. I imagine we'll still have some some of the after effects of 2020 that will impact this year, but hopefully, um, it'll be a much a much better year in, in in those regards. Not not just for me. I mean, obviously for for everyone involved, so we can get get through this once and for all. And just out of curiosity, do you have your own signing, by the way? Someone special? <laughs> no, hmm. no, not, 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 nothing, nothing on my end. I mean, you know, uh, Andres Reyes. <laughs> I, I don't know if you saw it today. Andres Reyes is going to uh, to to the New York Red Bulls apparently. So um, the former Inter Miami yep. center back, young Colombian. Yeah, I'm, I, I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not a scout, but I'm I'm high on him. I rate him. I think he's got a lot of good tools. Just a matter of him getting, you know, more seasoning, more experience, and then I think he can be a really good one. So. Uh, looks like he's going to the Red Bulls. I, you know, I had heard that there were several teams interested in his services, and he went through through waivers. And you know, the Red Bulls ended up winning the Andres Reyes sweepstakes, so he's staying in MLS. And it looks like he'll be a member of the New York Red Bulls in 2021. For Red Bull fans that maybe aren't familiar with him, I think he fits exactly what they want. Um, you know, he's technical, so he can build out of the back. He's you know, he's got good physical attributes. He's tall. He's strong. He's fast. Um, again, it's just about ironing out his game and working out, working out the kinks. Definitely someone that they could possibly sell for a, a, a good transfer fee later on down the road in you know a couple of years or so. Yeah. So definitely think he fits the mold, and I think he'll be he'll be a good one for sure. All right, Franco. Listen, you stay safe. Be careful. Be safe. Stay vigilant, and I'll definitely keep in touch with you down the road. Have a good evening, and thank you again. Thanks for having me on, brother. We'll talk again soon, and maybe hopefully we'll get to to see each other soon. I know you were you said you were going to come down for for that that second game against the New York Red Bulls. I believe you said you were coming down for it, but then obviously uh oh, things things went yeah. things went south. So um, okay, did. well it thanks did. man, thanks yeah. for having me on. And we'll I missed talk you. Soon. Okay, <laughs> I know. All I right, know. <laughs> you too, brother. All right, man. All right, take care, Franco. See you. All right, see you later, Franco Panizo, Soccer by Eyes, and many other. Uh, Miami soccer publications going forward. Uh, my next guest for tonight, of course, a good friend of mine, as always, in the uh, Raleigh, Durham, uh, Cary, North Carolina area, of course, the Triangle, uh, is the one and only Neil Morris covering North Carolina FC. They have relegated themselves from the Championship League in USL to USL League One. And Neil joins me right now. Good evening, Neil. Happy New Year. Hope you and your family are well and staying safe. They are, and Happy New Year to you as well, Daniel. It's good to be back with you. Thank you. It's great to have you back on. Um, this is something, um, of course, I didn't expect this to happen uh, when the news broke that uh, North Carolina FC uh, decided to go down into Division Three with, US, uh, with USL League One. Um, what has happened with the club, and why did they make this decision? Well, I, I don't know that I have an exhaustive uh, list of all the the ram of, all the permutations and, and reasons. Although I have a, a pretty good notion as to the big uh, the big two. 
Um, and I suspect this is something that's probably been debated, or let's put it this way, a move away from USL championship, at least for this year, was probably something that was being uh, debated for a while. You know, at the time that the club made the decisions, my understanding, they only had a couple of players who were under contract, and, and it was kind of noticeable that there hadn't been any player signings. There hadn't been any announcements about player options being exercised, which is normally something that takes place somewhat early in the cycle for North Carolina. So it, it had been very quiet. Uh, it's it's sort of my general understanding that there was a that there was a debate as to and, and one that lasted up until until late in the in the decision making process as to whether the team would go dark in 2021 or or what they ultimately did, which is go to League One. Uh, and and I think what you're seeing, and this isn't necessarily unique to North Carolina, and it's something you may see from from a number of other teams. I think sort of the 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 primary uh, reason is sort of a culmination of something that's been going on for several years. You know, Steve Malik purchased the team in 20, late 2015. Uh, and, and the team enjoyed one of its best attendance years uh, in history in 2016. But the attendances have been going for the men's team have been going down steadily year over year uh, since since 2016. Uh, at the same time, the the costs of operating a team in D2 have been going up, both from league dues. There was a change of leagues, obviously, at, 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 at a couple of years ago. Player salaries have increased. So while the the cost of running a team in the Division Two level has, has been steadily rising, uh, revenues on the men's side have been have been eroding. So I, I do know from conversations that I've had with with club management uh, going back two years now uh, that that was a situation that was not indefinitely sustainable, and it's part of the part of the reason why there's been this drive for a downtown stadium project because. I think the belief was that if we get a, a, a better loca- a better stadium in a better location, maybe that'll it'll drive attendance. If you build it, they will come, sort of thing. So I think that was already there, uh, and then of course the the pandemic sort of accelerated that that whole process. I would think, uh, you know, it's kind of it was kind of strange. You know, I I heard from some folks last year that. When USL Championship finally enjoyed their somewhat abbreviated season last year, after having been dark for months, uh, there was actually a little bit of discussion as to that the, the team would actually lose less money going to, not playing at all than playing the the, the season that they played. Uh, not just because of salaries, but mainly because of operational costs. Uh, so, but but nevertheless, you know, the, that's also the main reason for that is because even if you're playing games, you're having to open the stadium, you're having to have staff, you're having to have, you know, TV uh, costs, you're having to pay the players, but you're not having fans in the stands, uh, or at least very limited. So, with with no end of that on the on the on the horizon uh i mean right now the pandemic is worse than it's ever been uh you know no schedule yet no idea when or if we'll we'll get back to any kind of gate even if you allow fans in the stands how many are going to show up certainly for 2021 so given those two factors i think that probably led 
club ownership to to look at, at what to do this year. And again, the choices were go dark, uh, which would have been a uh, which would have saved money. Uh, but then it's a very dicey process because we we've known a lot of lower division teams that have gone dark, and coming back from that is not something that usually happens. Plus, it, whatever fan base you do have, you lose, or you you lose the trust. Uh, and I think North Carolina FC probably made the wiser of the two decisions by deciding to go to League One, where they're, they'll save money on three fronts. Uh, they'll save a little bit of money on travel costs because you'll have more teams within busing distance. You know, you're talking about uh, Greenville and Richmond and maybe a few others. Uh, maybe Chattanooga. I don't know. Uh, but the big savings is player salary uh, and league dues, which is, from my understanding, is, is a six-figure difference between D, D2 and D3. Mm. Yeah, very interesting there. And don't forget South Georgia Tormenta. You know, that's probably not a yeah. long bus drive either. So uh, you don't have to worry about that. And, you know, it's very interesting. I think um, – there has been a rivalry between Richmond and North Carolina, correct? Well, there's been a long-standing uh, rivalry, yeah, going back to the to the early USL one days, yeah. Yeah, now those were always interesting to watch. Whenever you're able to watch it on uh, on streaming platforms, of course, if you're able to get those, but you know. Uh, that'd be nice to see a rivalry re- rekindled and going forward. If I can ask you this question, though, Neil, and I, and I understand, you know, before the pandemic hit, like you just said, um, it's about people driving to carry. Which look, um, I've not been there. You're, it's in your backyard, obviously. Do you feel that the Wake Med Soccer Park has lived its usefulness, and they maybe need a new stadium? Is that what maybe some of the fans are looking for? Partly. I mean, location always helps. I mean, especially in this age where you've got so much urban development going on, urban renewal, uh, you know, location makes a big difference. And I, I think that I think what everybody was kind of looking at to pattern themselves after once they started the project was Louisville, uh, who were who were playing at a, a relatively suitable facility, a converted baseball field. But it was fine. They were having decent crowds. Uh, but then they decided to build a stadium project with no, with, with with the most important part of the equation being with no real uh, goal or path, at least public, to go to MLS. So this was a a lower division men's team that was building a downtown stadium project to to better their their attendance and sponsorship and all the rest of it. And I think a lot of folks at that level, including Steve Malik, took notice of that. I think you know Indy Eleven took notice of that, although they, they're playing in the urban areas, just not a preferable facility. So I think a lot of people took notice of what Louisville was doing and, and wanted to replicate that. Uh, and so I, I think location helps. Uh, now, I think there's a lot else that has to has to happen. Uh, in order to bring bring fans back on on a on a stay basis, I mean you're going to have to have success. You're going to have to cultivate the fan base. I mean, there's all it's the hard work of the marketing, no matter where the stadium is. And again, although I don't want to, you know, I don't, I've talked about this issue ad nauseum. 
you know, sort of the downtrend on the men's side of their attendance coincided with the arrival and success of, of the North Carolina Courage, uh, who came to carry in 2017. And I think, you know, my, my working hypothesis has been that uh, that when you start talking about a D2 men's team and a, and a, and a, and a women's team, which is one of the best, which over the last three or four years has been one of the best women's club teams in the world. Uh, you know, folks have sort of a limited soccer budget <laughs> and expecting the same pool of fans, although there, there's not, it's not one for one. I mean, there's not a hundred percent overlap between the two fan bases, but you know, there are soccer fans and you know, expecting them to just double the number of games they're going to go to each year um, may be unwise. And so you, your casual fan ends up choosing. And are you going to choose the team that's winning a lot of games and winning trophies with players you see on TV with the national team? Or are you going to go see the men's team who are doing okay to not so well with players that you may not know, uh, other than the ones who have been with the team for a long time. So, yeah, that's just one of a host of factors. And so I think that, uh, I think that's what you're looking at. You know, one of the interesting things about going to league one and one of the unanswered questions that I don't know is what is the team going to do about their roster this year? You know, you're going to have a lot of players who, who, who would have, who would have played for North Carolina FC? Who are obviously going to want to continue to play D two or are going to go elsewhere? In the press release that North Carolina uh, released uh, to accompany the announcement, they they hit very hard this angle of uh, accentuating or furthering the path to pro uh, linkage between their top team with their pro team and the academy, North Carolina Youth uh, Academy. Now, some of that probably was spin just to try to make the move look good, but it did make me wonder of what what do they plan to do with the roster of this League One team? Is it going to be sort of a, a D3 pro roster, players who maybe have fallen out or, or not, not at the D2 level? Or are they going to go with a glorified U23 team with, you know, you've seen North Carolina FC over the over many years, you know, you've seen there make announcements of uh, players in their academy signing academy uh, contracts with the pro team, which essentially means they get to train with the pro team. Uh, are you going to see a whole bunch of those players, and now they're the ones that are going to be playing in the games? And so, I'm curious what what or is it going to be a hybrid of the two? So I'm I'm very curious what what the roster is going to look like. Are they going to, are they going to take sort of third tier pro players or is this going to be more of a you know upper tier academy roster? I'm I'm sort of interested in that. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. If I can ask you this, and you can correct me if I'm if I'm wrong. Um, wasn't Steve Malik, of course, uh, like I guess the uh, the head of the uh, the owners of Championship level, or in some form with the USL, or to be a part of? I mean, uh, with US Soccer or something like that. Does he lose um, being the top uh, owner to lead uh, those clubs in that cert in, in the Championship League? That now he goes to League One with his club. 
Well, this, Steve Maddox last year went came back on the the board of directors for U.S. Soccer. Uh, right. I, I don't think he was in a hierarchy in the, of USL. Um, so I, I don't think he loses anything there. He he was in the. I think he was on the board of governors for the NWSL at least last time I checked, and then late last year, oh, okay. he he, re- he replaced um, uh, Alex Papadakis, uh, the man who had replaced him a couple of years earlier, <laughs> on the U.S. Soccer Board of Directors. And and by the way, that move was a, a, accompanied soon after uh, by you know, Cindy Cohn becoming president and and. Uh, uh, another local who was a part of the NCFC youth uh, board <laughs> becoming the new CEO. So uh, I think Malik's involvement has been pretty has been pretty noticeable the last six to eight months on the U.S. soccer circuit. And and by the way, his his involvement and and in, in his return to the board and the involvement of, of Cone and others have also. Uh, uh, ushered in an, an effort, an obvious effort to sort of resolve as best as possible some of the outstanding legal uh, entanglements that the Federation has. It, you know, it appears that hopefully, uh, you know, there's been a lot of change on the, the women's front, not just trying to resolve some of the conflicting issues involving the women's national team, but also changes in the contractual relationship between U.S. soccer and the uh, in the NWSL, uh, which may solve some of those issues. Um, now, there's still outstanding yeah. lawsuits involving uh, relevant, and there's the unending NASL uh, lawsuit, which you know, who knows when that's ever going to end. So, But it mm-hmm. seems like there's been definitely a change in approach and a change in tone. So uh, I, I don't think that Malik's involvement was as pronounced sort of institutionally in USL, but as far as I know, he's Okay. Um, I have one more question, and we're going to go a little little bit more north uh, to Charlotte. Uh, The Independence finally has their stadium ready to go. Obviously, it's on the campus of the uh, uh, Piedmont Community College uh, in downtown Charlotte. And uh, I have to say, it looks pretty good uh, on the photos uh, on the USL website to see them finally getting uh, their own stadium there after being in the uh, sportsplex for so long and the soccerplex for so long uh, just outside of downtown Charlotte. Um, what are your your thoughts about that? Well, I mean, if it had happened, you know, four years earlier, it would have been great. Uh, you know, the, the city of Charlotte and the county – finally uh, funded renovation of the old Memorial Stadium, which is just uh, in the shadow of downtown Charlotte, an old New Deal era stadium uh, that had long uh, passed its uh, its usefulness. Um, the configuration just wasn't right for, for pro soccer there. And so I'm glad that they're, they're heading in that direction, um, you know, if they had done it four years ago, you know, the independence could have been downtown instead of way out in Matthews at the sportsplex. Who knows how it might have helped them. But, yeah, they're making the right move now. Uh, unfortunately, it's coming on the eve somewhat of, of the arrival of Charlotte FC to MLS uh, in the same town. So 
who who knows what the future of the independence is is going to be, regardless of the fact that they're moving into a, a much 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 preferred uh, facility. You know, there was some some strong reporting around the time that North Carolina FC made their announcement of moving to League One that Charlotte was going to would not be long uh, to follow them. Uh, it was a few days later that I, that my understanding, from as best I remember, that the independents put the word out that no, we're not going to move to League One for 2021. We're going to remain in the championship. But that it, it appears that that's a decision that the, that the independents were weighing as well. And as of now, at least, it looks like they're going to stay in the USL championship for 2021. And maybe the move to that stadium is part of the reason. You know, they've been this is something they've been wanting for a long time, and the fact that they're sticking with this team, even with the the, the looming arrival of an MLS uh, team in the same market, maybe they figure that well, this is the time for us to to see what we can do with this team and in a good market with maybe the with maybe maybe the last year before there's an MLS team playing across town. Yeah. Well, that's going to be interesting, and uh, who knows? Maybe uh, David Tepper will uh, ask if they can uh, use the stadium as well. I think that would be the best thing, I think. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, Bank of America Stadium, you know, it's an MLS, uh, you know, uh, pro NFL stadium. It's, you know, also in use for being used for, you know, filling up those days where it's just not Panther games. But still, though, uh, you never know if they'll – join in uh, with the independents or maybe they'll build their own stadium somewhere in downtown Charlotte. We'll see what happens. Well, but I don't, I don't think the renovated you. Memorial is going to be big enough for, for the independent, for an MLS team. I think the, I think the new MLS team is going to be a bank of America until the day that Tepper builds another facility. Yeah, I agree with you there. That's probably what's going to probably be uh the most logical decision that uh, they'll make. But other than that, Neil, um, please stay safe Please remain vigilant. I know uh, they like to say it's a it's a new normal, but I'll, I'll never think that. I think we will have a uh, a cure for this. The vaccine is you know a good start, but I really believe that we're going to have uh, a cure and uh, we can go back to being regular normal <laughs> down the road. <laughs> we're all hoping for regular Hopefully. normal. That's right, because we become abnormal, then we're we're lost. So. Um, Thanks again, Neil, for always coming on, and uh, I'll talk to you again soon. Um, hope your family and yourself stay safe, and talk to you again soon. Same to you, Daniel. Always a pleasure to be on. Thank you. Thank you very much. Neil Morris covers North Carolina soccer, North Carolina FC, of course, anything and everything involving the sport in the North Carolina area. So all I can say is, is that, of course, next week we're going to have a great show, and we will talk to someone that is uh, – in the Charlotte area that knows a thing or two about what goes on with the independence and of course the Charlotte FC um, club that will be uh, getting ready to go in uh, 2022. So it's going to be uh, exciting to see and exciting to watch. And hopefully, hopefully, um, hopefully I'll be able to get down there to Charlotte uh, when everything's ready to go, whether it be for the independents or for uh, Charlotte FC. But then again, we have to wait for this pandemic to be over with so that I can make that trip. So we'll see what happens there. Other than that, um, all I can say is, is this, is that in this year of the multiple games 
that our men's national team is going to have to play. And we're talking about multiple games here, tournaments and, of course, World Cup qualifying, jamming everything into one so that uh, we can end this thing on time, get ready for the uh, draw for the 2022 FIFA World Cup, which will be in Qatar in the Middle East. And let's not forget Gold Cup as well. Let's also not forget CONCACAF Nations League semifinals and the final. And then, of course, we will have the Olympic qualifiers. Um, And unfortunately, the under-17, the under-20 World Cups have been canceled. Those those nations uh, that were able to host it for this year will now be postponed and they'll be hosting in the next edition, which will be in 2023. So whoever was ready to go for this tournament or these tournaments in under-17, under-20 World Cup, unfortunately, they will be now pushed into 2023. But that means that whoever is going to become 20, uh, either on 20 or uh, maybe a year before 20 years of age, uh, they will not be able to go and uh, perform in this tournament, or even at the under-17 tournament, which is a shame. Um, There has been no uh, qualifying uh, tournaments in each of the confederations, so we're just waiting to see what's going to happen, and hopefully it won't take too long, and hopefully uh, we'll get out there and we're going to see how this whole setup will become. But let me just say one more time, it's going to be an exciting year of national team soccer, Gold Cup, of course, first uh, Olympic qualifying will be this coming March. Of course, from Hugo Perez, who is currently the Honduras head coach of the uh, Olympic qualifying team. Uh, And then, of course, we go into the CONCACAF Nations League for the seniors, for the men's. We're going to see, of course, the Gold Cup in July. And then, of course, World Cup qualifying will begin September, September, October, January, and March three match days instead of two only in November will we have two match days other than that it's going to be exciting and I cannot wait to see this crop of kids ready to go and how about this someone just knocked on the door in the Bundesliga somebody in two straight matches knocked on the door and he said to his club I want my shot and the manager said you want your shot here it is. Matthew Hoppe has scored four goals in two matches, a hat trick in, in his first match for Schalke for the senior side, and then, of course, an equalizer against Eintracht Frankfurt. Unfortunately, his equalizer was just not enough as Schalke lost on the road. But still, though, this kid is unbelievable. This kid comes out of nowhere and scores four goals in two matches. That is unreal. That is unbelievable. And I cannot wait to see how much more he's going to give to everyone the excitement. And now you got someone challenging for a roster spot, either challenging or just being looked at. Either way, he will have an opportunity to shine, and we're going to see how he will be able to shine at a higher level. And I can't wait to see what he's able to do. He may push out a couple of starting strikers. We'll have to wait and see what's going to happen. But definitely, 
Greg Berhalter needs to give him an opportunity, needs to give him a chance to prove himself, whether it's in the Gold Cup. I don't know how old he is. Maybe he goes to the Olympic qualifying tournament. We'll see what he does there. But, you know, a friendly, one of the three, one of the three moments in any of the tournaments, got to give him a chance to see what he can do. Don't put any pressure on him. Don't force him. Let him do it on his own. Matthew Hoppe. Cannot wait to see what's going to happen there. This is exciting to watch. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that will do it for tonight's show. I want to thank my guests once again, Franco Panizo down in South Florida for Soccer by Ives and other Miami soccer uh, publications. And, of course, Neil Morris covering North Carolina soccer uh, in the area, especially in the Triangle. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Once again, I'm back and ready to go. Join me next week, and we will have on, of course, another exciting show as we get ready to move forward. As always, please enjoy your football. Thank you very much. Take care. So long. And bye-bye for now. Have a good night, everybody.